evidence and answers. Many people are asking, are we in the end times? What can we expect as we near the return of Christ? Is there a connection between COVID-19, the Abraham Accords, tension in the Middle East, and Bible prophecy? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. At the Evidence and Answers 2020 End Times Conference, Dr. Andrew Woods and our own Dr. Pat Zucran answered some of the challenging questions that were asked during the Q&A session. Now, with the conclusion, here's part two. Here's another one from our live studio audience here. If Biden becomes president, what is the future of the Abraham Accords? I guess we saw with President Trump, you know, he took a strong stand against Iran and backed Israel very strongly. So perhaps that's what helped lead to the Abraham Accords here. Seemed like with the Biden-Obama presidency, they seem to be not as strong in support of Israel and seem to kind of want to deal more on friendly terms or kind of appease Iran. So what would be the effect here if Biden becomes the president? Is, do you think there will be any kind of effect to the Abraham Accords here? Well, it's kind of interesting. The Abraham Accords were very disliked by Turkey and Iran and the Palestinians. and. I remember the Obama administration, you know, that Biden was a part of, gave us that terrible Iran deal, and it was almost an anti-Israel administration, and it was very pro the enemies of Israel, like Iran. And so I would speculate that if Biden, you know, becomes our president, by the way, if he becomes president, he really won't be the president because everybody knows that he doesn't have the mental acuity or the physical stamina to be the president. So it's going to be Kamala Harris as our president. She's going to be the dominant influence, and she's nothing more than a puppet of the one-worlders and the globalists. So, you know, God forbid, should that happen, and I'm praying it doesn't, but, you know, it always could, I think you're going to see a very we're going to go back to the lopsided Iran deal type of mentality that we had in the Obama administration, which to my mind weakens the Abraham Accords because Iran is against the Abraham Accords. Do you think the Abraham Accords would stay or think you'd see it dissolve and kind of fall apart at that point? Well, I think it's hard for them just to dissolve because you have that prophecy that we mentioned earlier about the Gulf states protesting. And so, to me, it makes very logical sense that the Gulf states are protesting because they have a trade arrangement with Israel. So, it's just hard for me to believe that they can just evaporate. I think they'll still be there, you know, but I, I do see a very lopsided pro-Iran, you know, almost anti-Israel mindset, you know, coming out of our administration if Kamala Harris becomes our acting president. All right, next question. What role or position has Benny Gantz taken in the Abraham Accord? Is Israel more supportive of Netanyahu and the Abraham Accord? I think first, Benny Gantz is the man who ran against Netanyahu. And I, I think that the vote came to a stalemate, didn't it? They had to do a runoff and uh, yeah. kind of thing. And wasn't really sure who actually won, kind of like us, huh? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, my understanding is the Israelis really like the Abraham Accords because A, they're anti-Iran, and B, they're recognizing Israel's right to exist, and C, they're, they're really not made with nations that have fought Israel in the past. You know, neither of those nations, whether it be Bahrain or the UAE, have been an enemy of Israel. So my understanding is those are pretty much accepted across the board, whether it's Gantz or Netanyahu. All right. Here's a question here from our live studio audience here. Are any nations such as China mentioned in the Bible in the end times? Well, I'll take that one. I'll give uh, Dr. Woods a break. And being that I'm Asian, I have great interest in that question. China, like the United States, is not mentioned in the Bible or any Asian state like uh, Malaysia or India. Maybe a ref- maybe a possible reference might be Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. During the tribulation, it says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters was dried up to prepare up the way for the kings from the east. So here in the uh, final battle, we have armies coming from all over the world. And here the kings from the east are east of the Euphrates there. So that would primarily mean east of Iraq. So perhaps maybe there, if China and India are, are superpowers at that time, perhaps that might be an indirect reference to those two. But really, it's not clear, but perhaps. But you know, it could be, you know, the largest church in the world, although this is uh, unofficial, is perhaps in China. And, you know, if the rapture comes, you know, a huge chunk of their population would be gone too. And another place where the church is growing very quickly is the country of India as well. And so if the rapture comes, they would have a big population too. Perhaps like the U.S. then, maybe they may be gone from the scene. But they're still around. Perhaps that verse in Revelation 16 may be an indirect reference there. Andy, you got any uh, other? No, I I look at it the same way you, you do. It just talks about this horde coming from the east of 200 million and you have to ask yourself, you know, what country on the, the earth east of the Euphrates could harness an, an, an army of that size? I don't even know if there were 200 million people on planet earth when oh. John had that, you know, had that prophecy yeah. at the end of the first century. And so that would, you know, fit to my mind, China and India. And I think it's those nations that the Antichrist summons from Babylon to cross the Euphrates River to participate in the final battle of Armageddon in northern Israel. Remember, the Euphrates is what separates the Far East from what we call the Middle East. And so in that prophecy you're speaking of there in Revelation 16, and there's also a reference to this big army in Revelation 9, uh, it's always made sense to me that the Antichrist summoning that army from Babylon, east of the Euphrates River, could very well be China because only China and maybe India combined, you know, could, could field an army that large of 200 million. All right, here's another question here. Can our unsaved friends still be saved after the rapture? What do you say? Well, there's, um, there's a, a prophecy in 2 Thessalonians 2 about the strong deception, and a lot of people take that to mean, and I've heard many of my friends that I respect teach it this way, 
that if you hear the gospel and understand it in the church age, and then the rapture happens, then you're going to be plummeted into the tribulation and you have no opportunity to respond to the gospel. That's how they interpret that strong delusion. I personally do not agree with that. I think they're reading into the passage stuff that's not there. It's not dealing with Second Thessalonians 2, the question of what happens to people that hear the gospel, reject it, and miss the rapture. I mean, you will not find that question being addressed in Second Thessalonians 2. So when people use that passage in Second Thessalonians 2 to teach that doctrine, they're forcing the passage to, sit, to teach something or to answer something it's not set up to answer. And I know why they do it. It's like a strong appeal, you know, when you get to the altar call or the evangelistic part of the message, and they'll, the preacher will say, if you, you know, if you hear the gospel today and understand it and the rapture occurs tonight, then you're going to go into the tribulation and you're not going to have any opportunity to be saved. And it, they're kind of using it as an emotional appeal, but it's really not what the passage is saying. The fact of the matter is there's going to be so many people saved in the tribulation period, they're, they're innumerable, John says. Now, a lot of them are martyred. We'll see them in the second half of Revelation 7 through the ministry of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And believe me, I think it's a lot wiser <laughs> to accept the gospel now and be taken in the rapture. But I don't like to create unnecessary fear, you know, where the Bible hasn't and tell people, you know, if you miss the rapture, after having understood the gospel, then there's no hope for you. And a lot of big name guys, you know, if I were to call out their names, everybody would know who I'm talking about. A lot of big name preachers teach that. I just don't see it substantiated from the scripture. Here's another question from Kim. It says here, I've heard people say Trump would postpone the timeline for the rapture. However, he is just a man and the timeline is God's. Is the one we follow already predetermined, or do we decide to a certain level as far as leadership? You understand what she was asking? Well, when she says, um, she said something about Trump postponing the rapture, something like that. Yeah. The, the truth is the rapture is an imminent event. It's signless. I think you, Patrick, covered that today. And it can happen in any minute. It doesn't matter if Biden's in office or Trump is in office or Kamala Harris is in office. There is no sign for the rapture, and it, it can occur in the next split second. It could occur before this broadcast is over. And so when people say Trump postponed it and things like that, I'm not on board with that because the rapture, you know, is imminent. As far as the rest of her question, you know, it seemed like she's saying our leaders are predetermined. The reality is there's a tremendous interplay in the Bible between free choice, which God gives us, and his sovereign will. And some way, somehow, and it's above my pay grade to understand it and explain it, <laughs> but some way, somehow, both exist. Somehow, some way, if the people want a wicked leader, that's an outworking of God's purposes. If people want a righteous leader, that's an outworking of God's purposes. So I do encourage people to get out and vote always and not to use divine sovereignty, you know, as an excuse to getting out of basic civic responsibilities. Yeah, the Christian life is a balance, you know, of uh, God does his part and we have a responsibility. And it's a balance of both. Um, 
Well, here's one from our live studio audience here. Will we recognize our family and friends in heaven? When we are in heaven, will we have our memories or will they be gone and renewed? Well, you know, it says in 1 John 3, we'll know him even as we are known. So I would understand that to mean it's still me and it's still you. It's still my body and it's still your body, Patrick, but I'm going to look a lot better. And yeah. you're, you're going to look a lot better. <laughs> uh-huh. It's the body that God intended, you know, before sin entered the picture and had a decaying effect on our body from dust you are, you know, to dust you shall return. Romans 8 says our bodies are groaning, you know, waiting for that day of redemption. So it's kind of interesting. They, The disciples, when Christ resurrected, they didn't really detect him or identify him right away. They thought he was the gardener or whatever. But Upon closer analysis and conversation, they recognized it was the Lord. And so I kind of look at the resurrection body that way. I'm still me, and you're still you, but we're look different in the sense that it's the body that God intended, you know, before sin entered the picture. Of course, I'm not trying to argue in that that Christ was sinful like we are. Obviously, he was sinless, but I'm just kind of using that as an example or an analogy. And I have a tendency to think that we do have memory. You know, remember the um, the man that was unsaved that went into hell? Remember he could remember back about his, what was it, five brothers? Yeah. I, I, if that's true in hell, why would that be any different than heaven? And, you know, God at that time is wiping every tear away from our eyes because we're able to understand history through his point of view but our understanding is still there. In fact, it's heightened and our memory is heightened as far as I understand it. Great answer. Well, I think we got time for maybe one more or two more. So let me look down this list here from our live audience here. Since a lot of us talked about the uh, rapture and that we won't be here from the tribulation, the question is how do you know the rapture is pre-tribulation? The church fathers taught of a post-tribulation kind of rapture. I'm not sure if the church fathers did teach a post-rapture. I think Paul is a pretty good church father myself. (laughs) And he talks about how the Lord was coming to rescue us from the wrath to come. I have about seven arguments I use, and to me, not any single one of them seals the deal. But when they're all understood cumulatively, I think a a very powerful case emerges that the rapture will occur before the tribulation. It's not a question of the church fathers. It's a question of what the Bible says. If we're all wrapped up in what the church fathers thought, see, this is the whole argument used against Martin Luther. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, You know, he kept, they kept, Dr. Eck kept saying, you know, that this Pope says this, and this church father says that, and... What did Luther say in the Diet of Worms? He said something to the effect of, you know, I ask for the the sun and Eck gives me the lanterns. You know, I ask for the scripture and he gives me the church fathers. And Luther made the statement that, look, I, with all due respect to the church fathers, when the church fathers depart from the scripture, I depart from the church fathers. So the ultimate source of authority is what did Paul and other apostolic church fathers mean 
And I think there's a case to be made from the Bible. I'm not all that concerned what everybody interpreted the Bible to mean in the last 2,000 years, but what does the Bible actually say? And you've already, Patrick, used some of the arguments. One of them is there's no reference to the church on the earth in the book of Revelation during the tribulation. And not just in Revelation, but any tribulation passage. The church is never mentioned. Another argument is we're spared from God's wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. And the wrath of God starts immediately. It starts when the Lamb begins to open the seven-sealed scroll. And another argument is that the tribulation concerns Israel. It's all about the conversion of Israel, not the church. That's why it's called a time of Jacob's trouble, but Jacob will be saved out of it. Why would the church be in that time period when the church is already in salvation? And uh, another argument is the fact that the rapture is imminent. It's signless. And if you make the rapture mid-trib or post-trib or whatever, then suddenly there's a bunch of signs that have to occur before the rapture can transpire. And so the rapture can't happen today if you're post-trib. And the Bible presents it as if it could happen at any moment. And another argument is the rapture is an encouragement to us. You know, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. I'm not really comforted if I have to go into the wrath of God. So, I don't know. To me, you just take a bunch of arguments, like there's about seven of them. Well, another one I didn't even mention is the Antichrist, whose treaty with Israel starts the tribulation. The Antichrist can't even come forward, as we've talked about today, until the restraining ministry of the of the Spirit through the church is removed. So, I don't know. No, no single one of them seals the deal for me, but when you look at all seven cumulatively, I think a powerful case emerges that the church you know, will not be on the earth during the tribulation. And I think the Lord wants us to, to walk with that certainty. Because if you don't believe that, your whole life changes because your whole mental outlook is, oh no, I've got to go into the tribulation and I've got to survive be martyred. And I just don't know how a person can walk through this world with hope and optimism, with the joy of the Lord, if that's their mindset. So, Yes, uh, great answer there. Yeah, boy, I tell you, a lot of people breathing a sigh of relief here after uh, hearing that answer. <laughs> well, let me, let me just add one thing. You know, I'm, we're not saying life is easy. We're candidates for Satan's wrath, man's wrath, and the world's wrath. And even as I'm speaking, Christians all over the world, you know, you mentioned some underground churches, Christians all around the world are suffering. But there is a form of wrath that we're exempted from, and that's divine wrath. And that's the direct promise of Jesus. So life here can be tough, but, you know, what what you experience here is not the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Tribulation period is the wrath of God. It's Jesus in heaven opening a seven-sealed scroll that will destroy half of the world's population. Uh If that's not the wrath of God, I don't know what is. And that's what we're spared from. And that's why we're never mentioned in as being on the earth in the whole book of Revelation during that time period. Fantastic. Well, I guess that's our final question. Could go on all night, but uh, we're going to have to wrap it up because it's late in the evening there where Dr. Woods is, I think, what is it, 10 p.m.? No, it's about 9 Oh, nine. Oh, let's go on. No, just kidding. Uh, Andy, a lot of people heard about my website, evidenceandanswers.org. If they want more information on you and the things that you're writing about, 
regarding Bible and eschatology. Tell us where they can go to to get more information on you and your work. There's about three main ways. I have a website called Andy Woods Ministries. So www.andywoodsministries.org, all one word. And you can find a lot of my stuff there. You can go to my church, you know, where we do verse-by-verse teaching. We've got all of our sermons archived in audio, video, transcript. It's Sugarland Bible Church. So you type in www.slbc.org. That stands for Sugarland Bible Church. And probably the platform that I that God has given me right now where most people learn about us is YouTube. Uh-huh. I have a YouTube channel that's just taken off in terms of subscribers. And so you go there and just type in Andy Woods into your YouTube search engine and you'll find my channel. And of course, if you just subscribe and click the bell for notifications, you get notified every time we upload something and it's all, all this stuff I'm talking about is free. I don't know how I say a lot of politically incorrect things. on (laughs) So I'm hoping my, my presence there will continue with these liberal techno guys. I never know how long we're going to last on some of these platforms. (laughs) Of course, Facebook is another one. Uh, Sugarland Bible Church has a Facebook page. Andy Woods Ministries has a Facebook page. Uh, I also have a blog called thewordonpolitics.com. Uh, you can find stuff there. So if, if anybody wants to find me, they can. there's a lot of yes. different ways to access my stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah. And Sugarland is a suburb of Houston. It's not an amusement park. All right. Like <laughs> Disneyland or Legoland, Sugarland. It's, it's actually a suburb. Well, Andy, you know, as we come to a close here, Andy, uh, what are your final words for those of us who, for those who've been listening today, you know, listening about the end times and the return of Christ uh, and the signs that we're seeing? What are, what are the final words that you want to give us in our final couple minutes here? You know, I would just say this. Prophecy is not something that is designed by God to fill our minds with a bunch of information. And we today presented a lot of information. And there's nothing wrong with information, but God never gave us prophetic information just for the sake of having prophetic information. Prophecy is designed to change the way we live. He who thinks often of his coming purifies himself even as he is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. And 2 Peter 3, verses 10 and 11 says, since all these things will be destroyed in this way, speaking of the world being destroyed by fire one day. Peter says in verse 11, 2 Peter 3, what sort of people ought you to be, you know, in holiness and godly living. So all of this stuff is designed to change the way we live. It's designed to get us to live for eternal things because it's in prophecy we learn that this world is very, very temporary. And it's only through the prophetic word that we learn that. And Only in the prophetic word do we learn the plight of those who don't know Christ. I mean, they're headed for a horrific scenario. And so that also should give us an incentive to share the faith, share our faith evangelistically. So if folks have been listening and following along with us and tracking with all the, you know, hopefully useful information we've been giving, I hope people are challenged to take it a step further and just ask themselves 
a simple question. How is all of this stuff going to change my life in the coming week? Because if it doesn't do that, then we've done a seminar that's interesting, but it really did, it really fell short of what God would have for it. Because that's God's perspective on prophecy. It's not there to scare us. It's there to prepare us. And it's there to change the way we live. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, we want to thank uh, Dr. Andy Woods for being here with us, uh, taking time uh, out of his Saturday to be with us because it's Saturday night's a tough time for preachers because Sunday morning they're going to be preaching all day. So he gave up uh, his time to be with us. So thanks, uh, Andy, for joining us and sharing all the great information and Bible teaching and inspiring message for us today. So thanks for being here with us. Yeah, awesome. And thank you for doing conferences like this. A lot of um, apologetics ministries won't touch prophecy. I don't know why that is, because to me, prophecy is one of the best apologetics we have. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the home page. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrat. 